Shut up and sit down. Okay, cool. Welcome back to the Limited Upside Podcast. It is January 28th. The All-Star Game is fastly approaching. It's a few weeks away, the 13th and 14th of February. We talked last week about the All-Star Game starters. Mike got heat from the entire city of Sacramento. Uh, We'll talk about that another time. But, Mike, today is a fun day to talk about one team who we really haven't talked that much about, ironically, given they are the most dominant team in NBA history to this point in the season. Let's talk about the Warriors a little bit, man. They instill the fear of God in the rest of the league, including the Spurs. Mike, you and told most me... Most notably the Spurs, you, I would say. You, you told me, this is earlier today even, you said it was one of those things where they make teams uncomfortable to this, like, uh, a degree that no other team has ever done to the rest of the league. What, what does that mean to you? What do you mean uncomfortable? What is this fear you're talking they, about? They thrive in chaos. I mean, did you... The most striking thing to me from the Spurs game uh, on Monday... You know, you know me. I'm like kind of a technical thinker. I'd like I would, your, I would call you a technical NBA thinker. Technical thinker. The, to me, the most amazing thing was just how they overwhelmed the Warriors or the Spurs to the point where the Spurs were just doing such unspurs things, tossing the ball around, taking shots after one drip or one pass. You know, just rushing up and down the court. They basically turned it into just this and. You couldn't recognize the game, because, mm-hmm. and you can't when the Warriors are at their best. It's just not basketball. It's mm-hmm. something totally different, and that was the most striking thing. Uh, forget the X's and O's of whether Tony Parker can play it, stay on the floor. You know, how do they guard? Who guards Steph? Can Kawhi really do it? Does Tim Duncan make that much of a difference? Forget all that. The Spurs looked lost in that game. They, they did. looked. It looked chaotic. And look, it's one game. It's on Golden State's home court, but. To me, that's like the most striking thing I noticed about that game is just how out of sorts the Warriors made the Spurs by just being the Warriors. Yeah, it was weird, right? Because I think it almost had one of those effects that you feel when you watch like a football game and there's like a crazy dominant defense and you think the game could possibly go in any direction and then it plays out exactly how it's supposed to. That dominant defense completely controls the game. Right. Like the Ravens did when they won the Super Bowl years back. We kind of went into this thinking like, oh, the Spurs have something different to offer. They can maybe be the team who has the right solution, you know, the right coach with the right game plan. Whether or not he showed anything, should caveat with this with Tim Duncan did not play, he he will make a difference. But how much of a difference? That was one thing I had noted here, Mike, was that every different perimeter player on the Spurs tried to guard Steph in that game. But ultimately, is Tim Duncan's presence, him being more vocal, I don't know, pointing out the little things around the court that they were missing, will he make a difference in helping to guard Steph Curry? You know, I don't know. I mean, I think he will make a difference in that they won't turn the ball over five straight possessions <laughs> and do all that crazy stuff. But who is Tim Duncan guarding? I'm not Warriors? sure. I well, mean, how do, they, do they play Duncan and LMA together? I don't know. And the other thing is that Duncan is not exactly spring chicken at this point. You know, Far from it. He's 40 years old. He's playing limited minutes. Uh, I don't think he, he may be playing less than half the game. And It sounds about right. And on that team, you know... Who is he? He, I guess you could play him with Bogut, but like you saw how poor uh, Aldridge looked against Green. I, I just don't know if that's the problem that the Spurs. We'll get back. We'll f- get back to that matchup. That's the problem the Spurs going to have to figure out is that you know Parker and Duncan may just not be fast enough. 
Yeah, I mean, I think coming into the game, a big question mark was, can you keep Parker on the court? And coming out of it, you pretty much have you have your answer, at least in in so far as is he going to be able to play with Steph? No, you might need to use start thinking of Tony Parker as the guy who comes in and plays his best minutes when Steph isn't in the game. Right, and that's I mean, different. It used to be that you could hide him on Harrison Barnes. I right. don't know if that's going to work anymore. I mean, and that's that's just the thing. The Warriors have too many things for you to think about. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just that they. The Spurs just look so out of sorts. It's, you know how when you're a quarterback in the pocket and you're getting pass rushed by these great pass rushers, it's mm-hmm. not really about how good they are at sacking you. It's how scared you are that you think you're going to yes. be sacked. Called Brady and the Broncos last week. And that is really what – you kind of throw – make bad decisions mm-hmm. under pressure. You feel the impact of something that's not there, whatever. That's what the Warriors do to you. Yeah, you know, I, think, you just, I think that's right. You just they they you feel like there's some huge storm there. It, it just scrambles how you think the game. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to do such different things. That's why I was kind of worried about the Spurs in general in this matchup. Is that the Spurs are such an orderly, conventional? They do their thing. It's and a their militaristic. Machine, their <laughs> machine is so can just beat every other kind of human element. That is presented at them. In individual skill sets of opposing teams, you're saying. Right. They so can they, conquer that. Right. And they have, like, kind of this great system, and mm-hmm. they kind of have such a great infrastructure around it. And not to say that they can't improvise a little bit, but they they win because their, their organization is better than you. The Warriors flip the script. Hmm. They want the game to be disorganized because they thrive in chaos where you don't. Yes. And that was the – to me, that's what makes them the scariest thing in the league. I, I tend to agree. I think when you can get a guy like Popovich to be as as humble pie eating as possible after the game where he, he was just kind of like, hey, we almost got him. Like he, he did nothing to do but joke around with the media. Think about that. Popovich, after a game against the other best team in the NBA, had nothing to do and nothing to say. Other than to just joke about what happened. It is interesting <laughs> you know? that he joked. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting was... that it's almost like you would think if you really thought they blew a chance or they had a, exactly. chance, a real exactly. chance, he would have been like oh, really mad about it. So there's two, two thoughts on that, right? My first thought is perhaps this is just part of the Popovich long con and he's, he's yucking it up that he gave fake confidence and a 30 or whatever, 30 point win to, to the Warriors and they can sit on that and they can think about it and then get fat with the, the success of that game but ultimately it didn't mean anything. And then the second thought I have is maybe that's what Popovich wants them to think but ultimately he knows that they're screwed. So it could be there's like that's the side of the Popovich coin here. That yeah. you know, that comment about I'm glad my general manager wasn't in the locker room or I might have gotten fired, obviously direct shot at the whole Blatt Cavs situation because well, we should mention it, the Warriors more or less got Blatt fired. Yeah. I mean, it, it obviously there's a lot more to it, but after that game, you know, I guess over a week ago now, uh, the Warriors didn't, or the Cavs didn't see another way around the Warriors situation other than to change up the head coach. Can't get rid of your whole team, although they might get rid of some pieces if there's any takers. We'll, we'll see. see about that. We'll see. Um, but the point is, when you start to take, we'll call the Cavs the third best team in the NBA. For third or t- fourth. Third or fourth. Okay, that's fair. I'll say third or fourth. But uh, wait, Oklahoma City would be the other one. I, I, I think the Thunder are probably. Yeah. Well, whatever. They're about the same level. They won't have to play. The point being that if, if the. Um, the Warriors are going to win the championship. Likely, they will have to beat 
one of Oklahoma City or the Spurs and the Cavs and the teams who are directly competing with them. And it should be said that Oklahoma City has a new coach this year too. <laughs> but uh, you know, teams are trying to figure out how to compete with them, and it just the gap keeps getting wider and wider. Yeah. And I think the I want to know from you, Mike, what adjustment, if any, that you could just think of off your top of your head now, whether that's who guards Steph, the the, the rotations of how who plays what minutes against what lineups. What can the Spurs do? I mean, I, what, what's the step that they need to take to say uh, to, the next time? They play three more times this year, all in the last two and a half weeks of the season. Yeah, right? which, which is a little weird. A little weird, and I'm sure that's going to just make pop bench guys. But um, what can be done? What, what's the move the, the move in your mind the Spurs need to make to make this a more even competition? Yeah, I mean, to go back to the theme of what we've been talking about before, I think step one is not tactics. It's just you can't let them scramble the game and just run up and down on you non-stop you know because you have no chance then you know you don't maybe in a playoff series you can like really drill down into like oh we can't have to f- play the fast break this way and be ready for a power forward or a center to be like the lead ball handler and to have these two impossible threats spot up and yeah we have to we we can prepare to adjust our defense that we guard 30 feet from the hoop when we normally don't guard 18 feet from the hoop mm-hmm. but you know, that's difficult. And the number one thing you have to do is you have to make the game feel normal. That's right. Some possible way. What got you there. Right. And so you can't turn the ball over like you did. You know, you can't – you have to run smart offense and you can't – you have to get back in an intelligent way. You know, it's much easier said than done. But that to me is number one. You know, I would actually say that the Spurs' number one thing is they should fix their offense first when they kind of go up against Golden State and then mm-hmm. they worry about okay who matches up with Steph and who matches up with with Draymond and who matches up with Clay. They need to they need to kind of have a organized system on offense that allows for good shots that they take care of the ball and so they get out of those as many of those scramble situations as possible. I I, I agree. I also think that early, really early on in that game the Spurs were going so much faster than they wanted. Right. It was difficult for them to get the right guy's shots early in the game. You saw Kawhi didn't get many shots off in that game. It right. Did not defend as well. He just, it was the first time I've, I mean, I don't watch the Spurs as much as you might have seen them play probably like seven or eight times this year, full, full games that I've watched and consumed. Kawhi is such an omnipotent part of the game. Defensively, offensively, he's changing everything. Obviously, he's perhaps the best two-way player in the NBA, he was bad at defense in the game and bad at offense in that game. Yeah, he wasn't. He <laughs> it certainly pierced the uh, aura of invincibility yeah, that he really had. Do you remember last year when they played at the end of the year and Kawhi like kind of swiped the ball from Curry about yes. a few times in a row, and that was kind of really the start of the the claw. And this is the Steph stopper. Last night went a long way towards, or not last ago, night. Yeah, uh, sorry, the Monday night went mm-hmm. a long way towards piercing that entirely. And I wonder, someone threw this out there. I forget where I heard this, and it was an interesting thought. Was it smart for Pop to even try Kawhi on Curry in the first place in that game? Yeah. Because now Curry has all this confidence. He doesn't have to fear this player that had gotten the best of him in the past. And I was kind of thinking about that a little bit as I thought I rewatched that game. You know, maybe, you know, on the other side, I guess, you know, Kawhi needs those reps himself, but... I wonder if that was counterproductive in some way to kind of expose Steph to the, I guess, trump card you have mm. on him, and then he beats it, and now he thinks that there's nothing that you can do to, to sure. stop him. I think, I think I may have asked you that, Mike, on Monday or Tuesday when we came in and we were talking about this. But um, oh, that don't, was, don't take too much credit for it. You know, I, 
I watch the game pretty don't, intently. I take a lot of don't take a lot your of, arm patting yourself <laughs> in the back too much. I take a lot of notes. Um, so no, but it was that it was that Pop gets the most credit in the world for never showing his hand, but he tried like four defenders on Curry in the game. He showed plenty of hand there. Right. You know, uh, the other big difference is between this year's Warriors team and the way they play and last year's team is that Curry has a far more minimal ball handling offensive part of the, or I should say, ball handling part of the offense. So when you're running off crazy screens and you, you know, the, the iconic play from the game was like the pump fake in without the ball, mind you, pump fake in, pump fake out, pump fake out, get the ball, pump fake the shot, step back yeah. to a three, and Kawhi was, you know, spun around three different times. It was a goddamn V-cut. Yeah, I mean, could you imagine, like, you know, your, your high school coach saying that one day you'll become a Vine sensation because of a V-cut you make? Like, could you imagine that? Hit the boxing cut! No. <laughs> that was incredible. I mean, you, made, you raise a really good point, and that's the other reason why this, the Warriors are just such a chaotic team. They just, they break all the norms. You're just not used to having to guard a superstar like that that right. is much more dangerous off the ball than on it. Absolutely. And so Kawhi is this like kind of prototypical like shutdown one-on-one defender, mm-hmm. right? And you know, he's not bad at going off the ball, but suddenly this like great weapon you have against the Durants of the world doesn't quite work the same way against a Curry. That's right. That's right. And it's, it's a incredible. very different challenge. It's just saying that out loud. It's incredible to think that someone built like Kevin Durant is like a more normal person to guard. Yeah, I mean, but that's that's the crazy thing about the Warriors. He's an incredible shooter too, and he's seven feet tall. Yeah, and he moves out the ball too yes, sometimes. Yes, but yes. it's it's different, you know, because they ha- they can kind of come at to him from any angle, mm-hmm. in any way, and so that's what makes them just. I mean, it's it's so hard. How can you devise a game plan that's not basketball? Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. That's the thing. And that's the reason, look, the Spurs are a great team, but that's the reason I was kind of thinking that this talk of them kind of being on the Warriors level was a little little much for me because I thought that they have this great infrastructure that I think gets them through a lot of bad teams. But when they go against elite talent, they match it. Mm -hmm. They don't quite have – whereas the Warriors, their best – is better. They can do that against anybody else in the league. Yeah, which they proved in their, their wrecking ball last two weeks where they have dismantled, call it, three of the other ten best teams in the NBA by 30 yeah. a game. You know, it's, yeah. it's pretty amazing. I, I brought this up. Uh, we were talking with Seth earlier about this. The uh, the time when my, my alma mater put a triangle and two on Steph Curry in college. You went for, to Loyola. I went to Loyola, uh, Loyola University of Maryland. And... Uh, and we, we played a triangle in two on, on Steph for an entire game. We lost by, like, 35. And after the game, Steph had, like, 18. He didn't shoot particularly well because he had two people guarding him the whole game and was standing at half court for multiple possessions as his team played an odd-numbers game. Um, at the end of the game, Patsos, the head coach of Loyola, said at the time, said, yeah, but we held Steph to his lowest amount of points of the season. Which is funny because... That's what he did to the Southern Conference and the, a MAC opponent. That's what he's doing to the NBA now. Well, no, and no one will ever play a gimmick triangle in two or a box in one. You can't do that in the NBA, especially against a team as incredible as the Warriors. You would never no. play a gimmick zone. But there needs to start being some thought about what types of gimmick defenses make sense against the different lineups they put out there. But now, whether that's now here's, here's my thing, though. Mm-hmm. Okay, that exact scenario you just described mm-hmm. happened on Wednesday night. Steph was 4 of 11 against the Mavs. And yeah, Clay Thompson got for 45 points. I like that we made it, I don't know how many minutes we're into the podcast, about talking about the Warriors. And we have not mentioned 
Clay Thompson, who I, I think could possibly be the most underrated player in the NBA now. He's up there. <laughs> I mean, we had a big piece. We had a piece we just wrote today that basically mm-hmm. covers that he's essentially like kind of this this magnet that just kind of brings people to him without doing anything. Exactly. And, and I that's, to... that's a huge part of it. But who's, that's... who's more important to the Warriors' success? Draymond or Clay? I think it's still Draymond because okay. of the defensive impact and the playmaking. But, you know, those three are all incredibly important. I think so, too. I mean... Going back to your thought of like what kind of gimmick defense, yeah. I'm starting to think that the best way to play the Warriors is to just play them straight up, and just the more you try to like kind of tinker with like kind of doing something out of your comfort zone, yeah, the more they kind of have you. Yeah, they're already you know, winning. That's like, right. So the five on fours, uh, four on threes that they create, you know, with Steph, the threat mm-hmm. of Steph pulling up, all that, that makes them more dangerous, I think, than just Steph beating you. I mean, no. it's a big risk, but. Sometimes I think the best way to beat them is to just kind of do what you do normally. You know, if Steph scores 60, so be it. You know, you don't want to avoid, you want to avoid the scenario that Loyola went through, which is they said, you know, we're going to do something totally gimmicky just to stop Steph, and suddenly everybody else looks like a world beater. I mean, a quick aside, to be fair, Jimmy Passos did that. He coached like that for publicity for the brand of the school so we could hopefully get better recruits. It was like, we're playing Davidson and they have an NBA player. We need to do something crazy so we can get on ESPN. And they right. did. So that worked out okay, well. Okay, but, but, yes, but you're but, right. But teams do that. I mean, oh, they, they trapped Steph so far from the hoop. You look at, there are all these clips if you slow down these fast breaks. They're literally, the players are running to the three-point line as a guy just runs down the rim for a dunk. Right. Did you see Sean Livingston's dunk the other day? Not sure the specific one. If you pull it up on the on our site uh, real quick, um, he's basically he's running down. They're on a fast break. The uh, the Warriors are running down the lane, and Danny Green could stop ball with Steph Curry with uh, with Sean Livingston, but instead of doing it, he literally just kind of like stands by Clay Thompson as Sean Livingston just goes in a straight line mm-hmm. with nobody picking him up for a dunk. They basically argued uh, that. Two is better than than three. I mean, which is true. We'll look at it at the end, but I mean, I think <laughs> yeah. you'll you'll see what I mean. Yeah, I'll, um, I'll, I'll take a look. I, I know what you're saying. Like, it's that's, that, that's what happens. Yeah, when you, play you the start Warriors. you start stop you stop thinking about the way you're supposed to play basketball. Right. You start thinking of this in this out of game context of like what I know they can do, not what I'm supposed to do myself. It's exactly it's the same point as changing what you do as a team to cope for it and having already lost consequently. Yeah, I think that the uh, the other strategy that kind of brings to mind this a couple of years ago in the playoffs, the Spurs were the juggernaut. Uh, I think this was the year they lost to Miami in the finals, but they were kind of the the juggernaut. They played Dallas, who they kind of owned. And Rick Carlisle, I want to say, decided that in that series, the Spurs were kind of at the height of their ball movement machine kind of system that they had. He basically said, you know what, we're not going to chase, you know, trap the ball and get in a rotation and let them swing it around. We're literally going to tell our three players not involved in the pick and roll to stand still. And we're going to, those two players, it doesn't matter what position they are, they're just going to switch. Maybe they won't. Maybe they'll try to fight over it. But this is a two-on-two play. Mm-hmm. We're just not going to include... It's very counterintuitive because you say now you want to cover the pick-and-roll with five players. Just made it two-on-two. And the Spurs were a little unnerved for a little bit. You remember that series going... First round, first round seven games. You remember that yeah. went seven. Yep. And it's just because they weren't used to seeing a team that just kind of was like, okay, you want to pull up and shoot? Mm-hmm. You want to get those layups on the two that we're not going to help? That's fine. We're just... You can, be, you can play us two-on-five. We don't really care. I almost wonder if a team should do that with the Warriors. Just say, okay... Stephen Draymond, you know, you can get whatever you want, but we're just going to cut off everything else. You're not going to get any 
transition runouts. Right. We're just going to play basketball. We're not going to play this like helter skelter BS that you guys play. So, so if the last week showed that the Bulls and Cavs and Spurs are a, a good distance away from being where the Warriors are right now, especially because you compound the fact they won the championship last year and have only gotten better and tighter as a team. They did all this without Kerr up until uh, Kerr coaching, but not in the games up until a couple weeks until last week or this week, mm-hmm. I should say. Um, when you think about that, who is the Thunder? Are the Thunder closer to a type of team who could beat them than the Spurs are? I don't think so. No, no. I, 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 okay, I, I really I'm just asking. Don't, I'm just I don't wondering because so. we know it's not the Bulls or Cavs or Spurs right now. You talk about a team that loses concentration on defense. I mean, that's sure, Oklahoma City for you. <laughs> they gave up a buck twenty to the Knicks. I was at the game the other night. Uh, I'll say this about about what the you know what Oklahoma City does is impressive from having two of the best players in the world. You've seen this. They historical PERs combined yeah, right now, both over twenty. They're both having amazing seasons. But they actually do have the ball in one of their two hands the entire game. Yeah, offense is not their problem. But you throw in Draymond, and you throw in the. the I think I think that the offense will be more of a problem against a team like the Warriors because the matchups are really good. They're really good for the Warriors defensively. Now, no one in the world guards uh, guards Westbrook, you know, ninety four feet, uh, or will be uh, be able to shut him down per se. But I do like the Draymond being able to be physical and in the face and like kind of always, uh, you know, the glue guy, if you were the glue on top of. Uh, on top of Durant. You also have Iguodala. Yes, exactly. Then Iguodala comes in, he can do it. You can also put Barnes on him a little bit. You can put Livingston on him a little bit. Like that's They have all these perfect yeah. supplementary players. It's also yeah. worth noting that Westbrook didn't have very good games against the Warriors nope. last year. Nope. We kind of got him to force it. More yeah. holistically, mm-hmm. the thing that is so amazing about the Warriors is that you look at the contenders that are fighting with them. Cleveland fired their coach who was having great success, except that they got their ass kicked by the Warriors. They were 30-11. and 11. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of problems, but what the tipping point that kind of brought those problems back to light yep. was that the Warriors kicked their ass. Right. It was that they hadn't showed, in fact, they showed negative improvement from where they were in the finals against right. them. The last year's Western Conference finalists made this huge, risky move in the summer to compete with the Warriors, and now really are kind of in this really terrible state. Mm-hmm. They're just kind of a mess. They're not playing with the same kind of intensity on either end for whatever reason. You're talking about the Rockets? Yeah, Houston. <laughs> for, it's just it's a similar mix got, of players. They got beat that, by 30 last night too, right? Yeah. By the Spurs. Yeah, it's a similar mix of players that, you know, just stopped playing the same yeah. the same strength. But, but you but, have, wait, to continue. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. The Clippers, a team that just lost in heartbreaking fashion earlier in the year to the Warriors, are at this crossroads now where they've got these 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 three great players. They've had a lot of regular season success. They failed in the playoffs. Now one of their star players is obviously out for a while due to I don't want to make a connection to the Warriors and what he did, but you know <laughs> punched his buddy in the head because of the Warriors. <laughs> That'd be great. But they're they're now in this spot where if they don't I mean what is what is success for the Clippers this year at this point? What is success for Oklahoma City? What is success for Cleveland? We, well we know what success for Cleveland is. They they already shaped that. They have to win the NBA championship. But that's frankly that's not gonna happen. I know at it's this not. Rate. That's why firing Blatt was so ridiculous. Because it's like Tyron Lue now is being given the opportunity to win the NBA championship or fail. Yeah, but I mean okay, I mean, with their with their exception, I mean, I'm just saying that these teams now I are really now. great teams yes. that have it feels like they have almost no chance. You know, forget forget the Spurs for a moment. I mean, if you're this is the real power of the Warriors is that if you're a team that's kind of on the cup, on the come. Cusp. 
on the yeah, you're on the come, you're on the cusp. Uh, yes, it's, it's yeah, yeah. You can use either phrase. Yeah, yeah, I got gotcha, you. Yeah. I got gotcha. you. Are you really going to try to go for it now when you're? Would you rather just wait out the Warriors dynasty? Yeah. So and, so how, that's and then also, how do you kind of shape the narrative of these teams in history? When you're kind of, you know, it's it can't be championship or bust. You know, you're comparing it to the Warriors. It almost feels like you might have this effect, like with the Jordan Bulls, where some of these great teams are sort of lost to history. Absolutely, but but waiting out a team whose core is 25 to 26 years old, like that means that nobody on these teams is going to be playing in the NBA when that run is over, or there will be old, right? And there will be a rebuild already happening, and the whole league can't rebuild simultaneously. Someone's going to have to try. Or you could just say, okay, look. We're fine with being fifty-seven wins, and you know, and the maybe third, a series win in the playoffs, and maybe and maybe like one win against the Warriors in a series. We're fine with that. We like, had a good run. Like just as a overall, though, I feel like there have been so many egregious blowouts in the NBA this year. Non-competitive games, left and right, every single night where there's like a twelve-game slate or whatever, there is at least one twenty-point loss, twenty-five-point loss. Did you do you remember now? Well, you, you know think, you followed the league incredibly closely your entire life. Do you remember a time where there were so many like a good teams, teams that are going to win fifty plus games, having multiple twenty five point losses in a season? I don't remember. Call them give up games. I don't remember will. too many years where there's basically been like three or four teams that are really good at the top, a couple teams at the bottom that are just terrible, and then the rest of the league kind of just being the same. Yeah, and I that, don't remember too many. I mean, there's some teams that are kind of coming out of emerging a little bit. Toronto is on a nine-game winning streak, and they're playing TNT on Thursday night. Knicks, the, you know, the Knicks are in that morass. You no, tur- I mean, they're playing. They're playing the Knicks, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. No, I don't you think know, the Knicks are in that. They're in the middle yeah. for sure. Yeah. And Oklahoma City is still a certain level of of you know strength. Uh, the Clippers have a good record, but. You know, what's separating all these East teams and what's separating all these kind of middling West teams? Uh, 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 in the standings, like two and a half games. But in, in their player personnel and the way they execute, not a whole lot. Yeah, there's nothing that you're right. And But that would lead me to believe that there would be more close games as opposed to these. <laughs> or is it just that the really probably, good teams are feasting on these middling teams? I think I think it's the latter. I, yeah. mean, I think these really good teams are padding their numbers a little bit. That's fair. Um, I'm just I just think it's really interesting the way the Warriors have instilled this not only this on-court fear but also this almost off-court kind of conceptual fear of we may have done the best we possibly could. We may have spent a gazillion dollars on luxury tax money to build our team. And we may have done things that made sense and were right, but we just, they're no longer right because of this juggernaut that has just changed the paradigm. Cleveland loads up on all these big guys, which maybe makes sense a year and a half ago, but suddenly with the way the Warriors have emerged, it's those guys, Kevin Love suddenly looks useless in those games defensively. Well, you, know, like, you can't play Thompson and Mozgov, and like all those guys are useful players against twenty-eight other teams. But like the one team that actually matters, they can't. They're not. Well, because here's a big part of this: going into last season, the Spurs were the team to beat in the West. It wasn't the Warriors, so the rest of the league right. had to get around beating the Spurs. The the, the Cavs saw them, I'm, I'm sure, uh, because of uh, LeBron's uh, Miami tenure. The Cavs saw the Spurs as the team to beat, so they went and tried to build a team that could beat the Spurs. And then the league turned very, very quickly, obviously, with the Warriors' uh, rise to prominence last year. And teams like the Cavs are stuck between a rock and a hard place because they would be far more suited if they knew going into last season 
Okay, that the Warriors would be the team to beat. You better believe Wiggins is still on that team. Yeah, I believe may, Wiggins maybe. is still on that I team, mean, man. Come on, from a perimeter I mean, sir, athletic standpoint, I mean it, that goes without saying. Almost the best lineup they could possibly put together would have been Tristan Thompson at center, LeBron at power forward, Wiggins at three, Ky- Kyrie at point guard, and I don't know someone else at two, maybe Jared Smith. I don't know. But the point being. The, the the idea is with the salary cap about to change completely. This is a weird year where like the the way these teams are comprised was for the, to beat the Spurs last year. Now they're stuck having to try to beat the Warriors with a team that makes no sense, but not be able to make a lot of moves because next year twenty five teams are going to have incredible amount of cap space. Right. It's it's just weird. I mean, if you're the Cavs, we can transition a little bit in talking let's about do it. The, the David Blass stuff. Yeah, let's first, right one last point on the Warriors. Real one last. Quick. Close it out. Close the Warriors out. If you're the Cavs, right? Kevin Love is a very good player that is a huge liability against one team. <laughs> you know, maybe maybe less, maybe somewhat of a liability against some other teams, but he's the only team he's a huge liability against is the Warriors. Yep. And that has a way, I think, of distorting like kind of where you are as a team. And Kyrie is too. Yeah. He's I mean, a liability against the Warriors too. Right. Those are those are guys and and there are other players on other teams that are like that. Sure. I would say. Sure. Um, I'm just thinking of the Cavs because this is the team that has the most potential to kind of warp its own expectations. You know, to a certain degree, DeAndre Jordan is sort of like that too against some teams. Mm-hmm. If you mm-hmm. want to kind of go to another team that's sort of warping, it's, it's kind of naturally comparing itself to the Warriors and seeing how short they are. If you're the Cavs, like, do you really want to rush into a move to trade Kevin Love because he doesn't fit against one team? Yeah, that's tough. Well, that's that's the entire thing. If your expectation is and your goal setting before the season is we've got to win the NBA title, I think the answer is yes. It's the same reason you make a coaching move when you're 30 and 11. Let's talk about the Cavs because that was an interesting situation. I think... um, Let me just throw it at you, Mike. Yeah. I have strong opinions on this. But I want to get yours first, so I can then kind of go off of that. Did you think that that was a justified firing and the right move for the Cavs organization right now? Well, I think it was clear from the start that he was not vibing with that team in any way, shape, or form. And not just LeBron, but certainly it sounds like some of the other players. And so the the Cavs could have said, like a lot of other NBA teams, look, we're 13-11, whatever problems we have... We're still doing fine. You know, it doesn't really make sense to make a major change. You know, they're kind of, they can work out certain things. We got through last year. We went to the finals with many of the same problems. Tons of injuries in the playoffs and the finals, yeah. mind you. Yeah. I mean, with all as bad as it was, they really were very close. Mm-hmm. They've had injuries this year. You know, some of the problems that caused them to let go of Blatt have been lessened a little bit this year. On the other hand, why are you, if you're a Cavaliers team that has these great aspirations, why are you settling for a suboptimal coaching situation? Like, why would you do that? Honestly, I have no idea. I, I looked at it like, clearly they already had the move made. Before they fired Blatt, they'd already started contractual negotiations with Lou. Right. So it wasn't like a fired and now we're scrambling. It was, we're figuring out what we want and then firing. I wonder why they didn't just do it after the season. I think it would have been prudent to, I mean, look, the hindsight's obviously going to be 2020 here, but I think it would have been more prudent to just see if Blatt can continue to get better as a coach himself. His book hasn't been written either in the NBA. He's, no. he, he thought he was taking over a young run-and-gun team, potentially run-and-gun, but a young team that he could mold in his, in his vision and was given 
a very molded statue already that he could just kind of chisel away at. And it wasn't responding to it. I will say this. I don't know if they were responding to Blatt, but I don't know that there'll be any more responsive to Lou. Uh, you know, I... Well, again, I, I think they will be more responsive to Lou, but the problem is it may not matter. Does, anyway. does that matter? Yeah, because I they mean, were 30 like, and 11. <laughs> they're 30 also because no matter what, like Teron Lou can't turn Kevin Roll, Kevin Love into a good enough pick and roll defender to beat the right. Warriors. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, the, there's a certain sense of like, you know, what's the point with anything that they do? Yeah, and you know what Blatt did last year? Uh, credit to my buddy Andy for pointing this out, but Blatt didn't show a whole lot to the Hawks last season during the regular season. And then he made some pretty good adjustments when it came to the playoff time. A short, a, a undermanned, no love, obviously, in the Eastern Conference Finals last year. Not and the same Hawks team, to be fair. That's had true. Some they had some injuries as well. But, but Blatt made the right adjustments in that series to get them to the, in a sweep. They made it look very easy. Well, whoever was running the team. Yeah, okay. or maybe Tyron Lue did. <laughs> yeah, kidding. I actually respect, I mean, I respect the Cavs for what they did. Interesting. Honestly. I just think that, that they knew it wasn't working. You know, the, the big elephant in the room here is, you know... <laughs> Say it, Mike. Who is made the LeBron, yeah. is it, he might just be tough to coach. Is he a coach killer? Well, he's only killed two coaches. It's and really <laughs> only and only one, really, by this definition. I mean, Brian Winters had a good piece the other day. He basically said that only one... This is only the second time a coach has been fired with kind of in-season, with LeBron kind of in, playing any role... You know, Paul Silas was fired in season, but that was very different. Yep. Mike Brown was fired when LeBron was a free agent and wasn't giving any opinions on the matter. That's right. And obviously Eric Spolster is still in Miami. And then you have Blatt, a guy who was brought in and never was supposed to coach LeBron in the first place. That's right. You know, really what they should have done, which would have been great in hindsight to do, was just like kind of fire him the minute LeBron signed. Sure. Because it was very clear from the beginning it just wasn't going to work. Yeah, and then Blatt could. I think Blatt will have another coaching opportunity in the NBA, likely next season. If I had to guess, yeah. I'd actually like to see him coach Brooklyn. I think that'd be a cool fit. Um, yeah, I think I think he's a good. He, he learned some things. I think there's a lot of talk that he kind of overestimated his own ability to adjust to the sure, league. And, sure, I mean because he, he was didn't his, really kind of talk work with his players better. He learned some lessons. I do think it's interesting. LeBron, as such an intelligent, smart player is also someone that can be tough to coach. I'm not saying that he is a coach killer, but I think this does call into question a little bit like what kind of coach is good for LeBron. Right. What do you really what what is it's it's going to be a partnership more than any other place you go and is that is that is at this age with LeBron declining. I mean, sorry about that. It's okay. What um I mean, that's the other bigger yeah. elephant in the room is, is LeBron even worth... I mean, LeBron is declining. I mean, LeBron is not the same player he once was. For sure. And he's been playing maximum physicality. And we know we don't have to write LeBron's you know, narrative right now. We know this. LeBron has been incredible for years now, playing almost the maximum amount of games for every single season he's been in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Or close to it. Um, he's he's played something like between playoff games and regular season, what, 15 seasons already? In his, yeah. In his, and, and, he's, he's, and he's like... 30. Right. I mean, so, that's the thing. He should be... Guys defined. like Bird were out of the league. Magic was out of the league. These other Hall of Fame amazing greats we, we talk about in the pantheon of NBA greats were already, before they got into these many games in their career, had been retired. Yeah. They didn't get there. You know, or they were 38 years old or whatever it would be. So It's not an insult to say LeBron's no, no, declining. It's just the way... It's the truth of the matter. And um, the other question, though, is does LeBron realize LeBron is declining? I'm not sure if LeBron realizes that he's declining, but I'll tell you what LeBron does realize is that he's never been more powerful than he is right now. He gets to dictate his lineup, his coaching. Whether I'll say this. 
I think that part of the the blessing and the curse of being of being as smart as LeBron is, is that you think you can do everything. And some of the most intelligent people in the world are the ones who listen best, who ask the best questions, who delegate the best, and who trust other people the best. And I think that's one of the interesting qualities that LeBron might lack, is his trust. I think the reason why the Heat worked so well was partially because he fully trusted Bosch and Wade. And it took time for them to merge into the right type of team that they wanted to be. But I think he had the right trust in those guys. And I don't think he has trust in Love. I don't think he has that type of trust in Kyrie. I know he didn't have that type of trust in Blatt. And I'm not sure he's good at delegating those types of responsibilities. The idea that, like, this game, I know I don't have it. I'm getting older and my physical presence that I want to be isn't going to be that. We've played three games this week or whatever. That, I think it, that I think mental part's tough. I think that's true, and I think I think it's worth wondering if LeBron has too much of a. At this point, LeBron is not being the player he once was. You know, is does he have too much of a role in doing all that? And mm-hmm. as a player, does he need to recognize his limitation and you know let himself be coached a little more? Yeah, and I don't think it means it reflects so terribly on him as a human being. I just think this is. You know, everybody has ages in a difficult way in certain ways. Mm-hmm. For Kobe, it was certain things. He, he couldn't change his style of play. No. For LeBron, I wonder if he just can't – If it's tough for him to be able to give up, relinquish some control. Maybe it will be a little easier with, with uh, Teron Liu. But, you know, I, as much as, as Blatt made mistakes and as much as that just didn't work, I wonder if there were some things that LeBron could have done to meet – I'm sure. A little I'm bit. sure there were. And I'm I think sure that were. that's going to be, if Cleveland falls short, I think ultimately the problem will be is that LeBron is not what he used to be. I, I think that's probably as accurate as you can get. Ultimately, and this is why I think, this is why I think it's funny that LeBron has uh, tried to escape accountability in the decision-making process here because he has had a hand in every other decision made. Obviously, he had a something to say in this situation of firing the head coach of the team that he's the undecided leader of. I'm and sure I'm sure he said that he w- it was he made it clear he was not a big fan of his. I don't right. know if he went I'm sure he didn't march into David Griffin's office and say you must fire him. But no, I'm but sure. I'll say this. I think that he has had many other situations in his very short ten- new tenure with Cleveland, uh second tenure with Cleveland where he has marched in there. Look, the players I don't think that, that's a style. I feel like they You don't think cause, dude, they they brought in they brought in Mike Miller, they maxed march. I don't think he's a march in and demand change style type I think there's a lot of like underplaying I meant that metaphorically I don't think there was ever like a bashing in the door but I think that the the undertones the comments he's made the the way that he has body language he tends to work for intermediary let's just say exactly because in the time he's been there in a very short period of time they brought Mike Miller back they brought James Jones back they gave Tristan Thompson who has the same agent as him a max contract they traded Wiggins and brought in love there have been a lot of very questionable moves made in a I, very I'm not ready to say the Wiggins love thing is a huge mistake. I think. Really? Well, I just I Wiggins have, isn't that great right well, now. I don't, and I have, this almost has nothing to it do with Wiggins. It wouldn't fit with to LeBron. I, I think. Really, you don't think he would have fit with LeBron? I don't think he would have helped them win the title. What no. if? What if? What if LeBron is is exponentially fresher because he's not defending perimeter elite players night in and night out? Or I mean, is, is Wiggins right now that much? Would he, would he, what was? How different would his role be right now on that team from Iman Shumpert? Uh, first off, two things. I think I think that Wiggins is a better player if he's playing with LeBron. He's already been pushed to become a better player. He's been put in better situations to become a better player if he's been playing with LeBron. So I think you can add a little more to him. We know this. The 25% rule LeBron gives all of his players or his teammates. Um, but I'll say this, man. I, I do not... Uh, 
I do not want to put too much on LeBron because he has shouldered an over overbearing amount of responsibility for his teams his entire career. So to then give him, you know, blame, um, to give him blame would be almost unfair because we want to give him all the credit for being such a, you know, amazing team carrying player his whole career. Sometimes it has to work both ways. We do have some breaking news, however. And that would be that we're going to move from the Cavs. We talked about the Cavs. We talked about the Warriors. That's already too much Cavs-Warriors because the whole NBA loves Cavs-Warriors. I want to hit a couple quick hitters before we go. And those are just a few questions I have for you, Mike. I want to get your opinion on. There's been some interesting things around the league this past week. Uh, number one, the All-Star Game coaches is a funny thing to me. Do you have anything? Do you believe in anything about the All-Star Game coaches other than it should just be a kind of a, a coaches decide type thing? Because right now we're at a situation where you have a guy who's coached three games in the NBA, coaching one team, and Popovich coaching the West. I thought it was really funny when Tarang Moose said, like, this is a credit to David Blatt and the yeah. coaching staff. You know? yeah. I thought that was a little awkward. I mean, maybe was there blood splashing like on his kind of <laughs> on his shirt as he said it? Yeah, it was yeah. a little bit. Of, I'm sure he didn't mean it that way, but it just came across as a very strange way. Okay, okay. I think the All Star coaching thing is kind of silly. I mean, did I, you see this chart that our friend Ben Golliver put together that basically like was career wins uh, for the All Star coaches in a bar graph? And you have Greg Popovich <laughs> like way up here, and Teron Lewis like three. <laughs> It's got to be the biggest discrepancy of all time, obviously. It was great. Um, Okay, that was number one. Second quick hitter, um, Jeff Teague. Possibly being traded, being shopped around by the Hawks. Is that real or is that just rumor mill? Well, it sounds like the rumor, the latest reports are that they're kind of thinking about, they're kind of canvassing a little bit. I wouldn't call it shop. They've been pretty adamant about that. Okay. If you're Atlanta, and this is why I find this kind of an interesting situation, your, your long-term situation is sneaky, not that great. <laughs> you know, you have Corver is 34 and has already shown signs of decline this year. Big time. Bazemore is due a big, a big raise, yep. and I don't know if that's something you want to pay. Millsap is in his 30s. Horford is kind of about to be a free agent. We'll see. T, if you're and you don't have a lot of young talent in the waiting in the wings, you kind of have Dennis Schroeder, and you've kind of botched some drafts over the years. If you're the Hawks, do you want to kind of take a step back, try to move T to get some young assets for a bigger step forward? And on the flip side, if you're another team trying to get Teague, you know, he's got a great contract for two years, and he's a pretty good player that's not playing that well this year. But, you know, the value of starting point guard in the market right now isn't that great. I mean, most teams have who they need. It's true. The good teams do. You're talking about a few teams that would be interested. Maybe Houston, maybe Utah. I like the, the Knicks. Knicks. I like if the Knicks had ending the trade, he'd be a really interesting well, piece the, for them. There you go. Yes, That's the problem. Trade. So if you're Atlanta, so I think it's going to be something they look at. Yeah. I think he's going to be somewhere else before the end of his contract. I don't know if it's going to be this year. Yeah. But if I'm Atlanta, I might I might settle for kind of a prospect, a rotation player, mm-hmm. and kind of just go from there. Cool. Cool. All right, we're going to wrap this up. Mike is a man who's a very busy man. He runs NBA here at SB Nation, and uh, NBA news is happening. All-stars are being announced, so we're going to let Mike get back to that. I want to know one, uh, one quick thing. I'm going to tell you about some cool games this weekend. Uh, Mike, what's your favorite Sting or Police song? Sending out an SOS. I like that song, too. I'm a big Roxanne fan. But... Although, I've got to be honest, I can't, um, I can't accept them as the all-star, <laughs> you know, as the all-star halftime act. Why? What's the matter? 
It doesn't matter at all. It's just funny that it's like Sting. Uh, yeah. I, mean, I saw a good tweet. It was like uh, I guess Genesis was booked. Um, <laughs> okay, cool. So that was uh, the All Star. The uh, Police are going to be playing at the All Star game uh, at halftime or whatever, or p- before the game. Um, I want to say uh, real quickly uh, if if you are a basketball fan and you don't have. Um, uh, you don't have NBA League Pass, go download the Swish app. My buddy Ari Litton, uh, he's, he's a really good dude. And this is one of the coolest apps out there. Uh, they're not paying us to say anything. I just love using it. It's for highlights, cool things. It's constantly updated, good aggregation tool. Check it out, Swish app. Um, and then this weekend, Mike, it is an awesome weekend for basketball. I love how they planned it. There's no football. So Friday night, I'm going to watch a little Cavs-Pistons. I just like the matchup. I want to see how that plays out. Okay. Saturday, Sixers-Warriors, and then there's Spurs-Cavs. Um, yeah, right. so Spurs Cavs Saturday night. Sunday, pretty cool. Um, you got Bulls Clippers and then Knicks Warriors. MSG, the get in price for a ticket right now is $295. So the Warriors, right, I'll see you there, then. The Warriors are worth the price of admission, but <laughs> I couldn't see. tell you because I don't have the price of admission. Um, so that's what do you really, mean you don't have the price of admission? I could probably buy myself half of a game. Okay. <laughs> One ticket of half of a game. So you uh, can you can kind of split yourself in yeah. half and kind of the yeah. topic just goes. <laughs> That's right. My <laughs> okay. brain goes and my body stays in Brooklyn. Okay. Um, but yeah. So uh, anyhow, find us on iTunes, Limited Upside Podcast. Uh, subscribe to us, uh, like us, rate us, all those things. Uh, tell your buddies about it. Find us on SoundCloud, Limited Upside Podcast. We will also be on. SB Nation, NBA, uh, you probably find us on the homepage, but then keep looking for us. Find us, subscribe to us, comment on it, tell Mike why he's wrong, tell me why I'm right. Until next time, Limited Upside Podcast. <laughs>